invite you, if you would, to take your scriptures and turn back to that Mark chapter 5 passage that we read a little earlier. Have you ever heard someone on TV or commercial or ad or maybe perhaps somewhere else in life say this? This is going to change your life. I probably heard that a few hundred times. And there are a lot of books that claim that. In fact, if you go on the internet, as I did this week, they have actual book lists, 25 books that if you read them, they will change your life. I've also seen, and maybe you've experienced, people tell you, if you do this diet, it'll change your life. Six, I read these, 16 weeks to change your life. I wish it was that easy, right? How about this one? Eat to change your life. That sounds right up my alley. But you find out you can't eat anything you want, which is a bummer. Change your diet, change your life. And then they have exercise programs. And then they have equipment that you buy. If you do the, what is it, the, uh, your blaster, what's it called, the thing, you know, right there? Yeah, the ab blaster, that's what it was. If you buy the ab blaster, it'll change your life. For $39.99 or two payments of $19.99, you can have your life changed. There are certain movies, they say, if you watch these movies, it'll change your life. And they have list Forrest Gump. I've seen it. Not changed. <laughs> Rocky. Closer. <clears throat> Schindler's List. Remember the Titans. Braveheart, and on and on it goes. I've watched these movies, some of them, not really changing my life. Now the biggest craze is, is habits. Atomic habits, micro habits, macro habits. Change your habits, change your life. If you would get more organized, everything in your life would be more you know, in line and, and disciplined, that you would be a better person. How many of you have ever watched the show when it was on The Biggest Loser? Did you ever see that one? Yes. Um, the Biggest Louver is a weight loss TV show. It was on TV for 17 years. Um, and it featured, if you've ever seen it, overweight uh, contestants competing for a cash prize. And it's not about the poundage that you lose. It's about how much of your weight as far as the percentage of your body goes. That's how you get in the last few shows. It was a quarter of a million dollars if you were the winner, and if you go on their site, they still have it up, and I think I heard it might even start up again, but they always have these pictures of before you started the program for Biggest Loser, and then the after. And I'll have to say, when you look at it, it has changed a lot of people. In fact, the winner, the all-time um, Biggest Loser, if that even goes together, winner-loser there, Michael Ventrella, during the program, which lasts for 30 weeks... He lost 269 pounds. It was half of what he weighed, only half. But he lost the most of anybody in history. He, he lost 269 pounds. And they showed a picture of him, and I honestly don't know him personally, obviously, but you look at the picture before and then after, I would not have recognized him as even the same person. But there's a problem with all of these books and all of these movies and all of these habits and all of these programs. The problem is most times 
it doesn't work. It may change your life for a little while. The statistics are that people who lose weight, 80% of them gain it back. Most of it or all of it within the first year. They said on the Biggest Loser program that once they got off television and they weren't competing anymore, most of them gained it all back. Some have gained it back and more. I I ask myself, why? Why is the change that the world offers and all the things, why is it always seemingly so short-lived? Why doesn't it last? And I've come to a couple conclusions. Because the change is usually only on the outside. See, you're only changing how much you eat, you're changing your diet, your exercise, you're changing the outside, but hardly ever does anyone in any of these programs change the inside. Why do you want to eat and do those things? Why don't you exercise? Very rarely are all of those things even addressed because these programs aren't after heart transformation, they're after just external results. And so the change usually ends up being on a doing level and not on a being level. And it's never about the outside, the inside. It's just mainly about the outside. Second reason I finally don't change is because it's only self-help change. You know what I mean by that? That you have to do it all on your own. In the end, when there isn't the dietician next to you and you aren't on the TV program anymore and no one's looking over your shoulder... You have to have the power in and of yourself to do it. And for most people, if not almost all people, they don't have that power and ability to keep it going. The emotion's gone. The cash prize is gone. And so is the change with it. I've come to the conclusion when you really want to talk about having your life changed. And I mean your whole life for your whole life. Only Jesus can do that. See, only Jesus can do that. In fact, if you read all of Mark's gospel, you realize that Jesus and his whole ministry was all about changing people. That's what he did. The gospel of Mark is full of stories, and you should read them all, about how Jesus, through his power and authority, changed people's lives. See, he didn't just heal them and they went back to what they were a couple weeks later. No, he changed them and they were changed forever. Read the story of the lepers and the blind and the lame and the deaf and the people who had blood diseases. See, he changed men and he changed women. He changed Jews and he changed Gentiles. Adults, children, religious, irreligious, rich, poor. See, Jesus changed All of these people, and I ask myself, why? Why would Mark record all of these stories of change? Because he wants us to know this, including everyone in here this morning, every single person on this planet needs the change of Jesus. There are no exemptions from it. And perhaps the best change story in Mark's gospel is the one that we've read this morning of the man of Gadara, Jesus tells him when it's all over at the end of our story, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. You know what that means? How much he changed you and how he had mercy on you. How much? It means magnitude. It means there are so many things that God has changed in your life, that Jesus has changed. Go tell people. And so you look at his life and read the first verse, five, I mean, 10 verses of chapter 5, he changed him because he was unclean. He was possessed by a legion. And you understand that was not a demon or two. 
two to four thousand demons. He was isolated from people. He was violent. He was constantly suffering. He was self-destructive. He kept cutting himself. See, no one, that's what Mark wants you and I to know this morning. That's why the man of Gadara is such a great example. No one, no one is outside the power and authority of Jesus to change their lives. See, from our perspective, some people, and maybe someone told you at this one point in your life, some people are beyond man's help. But I can tell you this, they are never beyond God's help to change. So you read the first 10 verses, and it's an incredible story of change. And you might say, Pastor Walker, I listened to you when you read that, and I got to tell you up front, that's not me. Hey, that guy was out there. I mean, demons. Uh, I don't think the word legion is what describes me. My wife and kids might disagree, but that's not what describes me. I'm I'm not that bad. I'm really, hey, obviously, Pastor Walker, nobody's perfect. I didn't say I never did anything wrong, but legion, come on, that's a little stretch, isn't it? You think I'm like this guy? See, I don't think you're like this guy. I don't think Mark put it in there so that you would think, oh, wow, I'm full of demons. He doesn't say that. Here's what he's saying. Nobody is beyond his help. And so if God, through Jesus, can change this man, he can change anybody and everybody because we all need that change See, you may not be this morning as bad as he is, but you are as bad off as he was because we're all sinners. And guess what? That sin in our life separates us from the Lord. It wasn't just that he had done a lot of things and was possessed by demons. That was true. He he had done a lot of sinful things, but that sin had separated him from everyone. Everyone. He was by himself. He was isolated. No one could get close to this guy. See, that's why everyone in this room needs Jesus' power and authority to change them because it separates us from each other and most of all from God. Can I tell you this morning? Not everybody sees that. Everybody has the same need to be forgiven, to be brought close to God, But not everybody knows they have that need. And that's why in our portion of Scripture, and what I want to focus on just for a few minutes, are the three responses that people in this text have to Jesus' power and authority. And I can tell you this, two out of the three aren't the ones that we would want you to have. Because most people do not see that they need a change. The change in their lives, but they don't see it. And while I'm looking at all three this morning, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this question while we're talking about these three responses. I want you to say this. Which response is my response? So let's take them one at a time, all right? The first one is, the first response, number one, is rebellion. If you look at verses 10 through 20, here's how the responses are marked off by Mark grammatically. They're all marked off by the word begged. It means a strong question. It means to plead for something. It's used four times in the text. Verse 10, 12, 17, and 19. It's used eight times in Mark's gospel. Half of those are used in this text because it is what is emphatic in that last half of this story. 
Now, I looked at all the other four instances of this word in Mark's gospel, and it's Jairus who's pleading for his daughter to be healed, sick people who needed it, deaf, mute, blind people. They're all pleading. They're all asking for Jesus to do something from them, except in this text. So when people beg Jesus in this gospel of Mark, it always means two things. Possibly. Here's what it means. Jesus, come close to me. But in our text, there's another option in begging Jesus. It's Jesus, get away from me. And I want you to know this morning, depending on your response, everyone in here is begging Jesus to do one of those two things. You're either begging him this morning, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, take over. Jesus, be close to me. I want to be close to you. Or you're saying, Jesus, I don't want your power and authority in my life. I, don't, I want that. And I'm, here's what I'm begging. Here's what I'm pleading. Please get out. Please move out of my life. See, when people beg Jesus in Mark's gospel, it's either you're going to get away from him or get close to him. And by the way, just because people beg him to get away from him doesn't mean that at times when their life is in crisis mode that they still would ask him to do something for them. Verse 7, the man with the demons, when Jesus comes up to him and says, come out of him, here's what the man says. And listen, this is most people. What have you to do with me? (laughs) Verse 7, what have you to do with me? In other words, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. What do you have to do with me? What do you have to do with us? And then they say, Jesus, son of the most high God. Literally in the Greek text, it means this. What? You and me? In other words, here's what the demon says. You and me, Jesus? No. Not interested in that. What? You and me? Why are you even here? See, they had no desire for Jesus. No interaction wanted. No you and me whatsoever. All they wanted for Jesus is, hey, get away. Can you please get away from us? In fact, crazy enough that they strongly preferred to be with the pigs more than Jesus because they asked that he would put them in it. See, they're begging him in verse 10, and they're begging him in verse 12. They begged him. They pleaded with him, and the idea of the verb is over and over and over. They couldn't say it enough. See, some of you, if you're honest this morning, truthfully, if you're honest, you'd rather be anywhere but here this morning. Because you're really not interested in Jesus' authority in your life. You definitely don't want him to change you. You definitely don't want him to take over your life. Because the reality is, if you're honest, that like the demons in this man, you prefer other things to Jesus. And that can take a lot of things. In fact, you prefer anything, just about anything, to Jesus. And sometimes it takes the form of sexual freedom, alcohol, materialism, video games, hatred, getting even, all kinds of things. The truth is, although you may not say it out loud, but some probably would, I'm going to live my life my way on my terms. And then you tell yourself, listen, by the way, I'm really too sophisticated, I'm, I'm, I'm really too modern, Pastor Walker, to think that I need some sort of religious change. I came to church this morning, but hey, you know, I really don't need the change. I see, I don't need any change. And if I did, I think I could change myself. And so we had the DYI spirituality today, do it yourself. 
We don't want his power in our lives. We certainly don't want his authority in and over our lives. But listen, do you know what the demons, what the, the Mark tells us about the demons? It wasn't that they wanted Jesus to get far away and out of their lives because they didn't know anything about him or believe anything about him. It wasn't that they didn't have some understanding. They did. They called him Jesus, his human name. But listen, the most high God, your son of the most high God, they knew exactly who he was. They knew that Jesus wasn't just in man, that he was God, very God, son of God. They knew who he was. They knew ultimately what his power would be because he could torment them. See, isn't it true? There's a lot of people, and some of you, it's not that you don't understand who Jesus is. It's not that you say, oh, Pastor Walker, I'm not that. I believe the Bible. I come to church. I'm here this morning, right? But I, listen, I believe in Jesus. I believe who he is. I, I know what he can do, but you don't want it in your life. That's the problem. That's the rebellious response. It happens with kids and teenagers who grow up in the church and hear all this stuff and they sit in the pews their whole lives, but the truthfully inside, here's what they say, I really don't want any of that. Most high God, only time it's ever used in Mark's gospel, it's used repeatedly in the Old Testament, and it always means this, he is supreme, most high, superlative. He is above every God because other gods, there are no gods. He is the supreme God. He has all power and authority. The demons knew it and didn't want anything to do with it. Jesus says to the demons, what, are, what is your name? Now see, when, in the Bible, when you name something, you have authority over it. And Jesus asking the demon's name, legion, which means thousands of Roman soldiers, thousands of demons, that's who they were. He names them because he wants them to know, I have authority over you. But they don't want his control. They don't want him to do anything. In fact, the only thing they want from him is to give them the ability to go into the demons, into the pigs, and be gone from him. See, even this, even though they don't like his authority or submit to it, they know they have to have his permission to even go into the pigs, verse 13. And he gave them permission. And they do because their hearts, can I say, are so hard. See, some of us, you've been to church your whole life. I've seen it in teenagers. I've seen it, the rebellious, the defiance that leads to destruction. See, they get in the pigs, they run off the cliff, and all of it dies. And I've seen it hundreds of times, the rebellious response to Jesus. Instead of being attracted to his power and how it can change your life forever, they're repelled by it. Because they're going to make their own choices. They're going to be the king of their own lives. They're not going to listen to the authority of their parents. They're not going to listen to the pastors. They're not going to listen to their teachers. They're not going to even listen at times, in extreme cases, to the police officers or whoever might be in authority. See, you know why? Because this is my life. And it's not until they ruin it that they realize how that response has ruined everything. And so is the first response your response? Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. Is that a rebellious response? Jesus, I know it's all your power. I know who you are. I'm not interested. See, the first response is the rebellious response. But the second one marked off by begged, or beg, is the people and the herdsmen that were there that day. Verse 14, if you look at it, it reads, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. 
And people came to see what it was that had happened. Now let me read you the modern version if we wrote that same thing in our day. The herdsmen got on their iPhones and called everyone in town about what had happened. And they posted it immediately on Facebook and there were all kinds of hundreds of tweets about it. There was a video on Instagram and everyone was watching it. And before you knew it, the legend, the le- legend, legion, legion, legend went viral. That was how we would say it today. It was so viral and so impacting that immediately people, crowds gathered. They came from the towns around them. And the Bible says, and they came and Jesus was there. It's like the local news teams were even covering it. It was the miraculous event of their time. It says they came to Jesus and they see Jesus and then they see the demon-possessed man. And everybody in that town, everybody knew the legend of this guy, of a legion. They knew it. They knew that people had tried to chain him, that he was uncontrollable, that he was super strong and powerful. Nobody could get No one had power and authority over him. No one had power and authority like him. And it was evil as you could possibly be. Everybody knew it. And so they come there and they see this guy. And the Bible says there he is sitting under control, calm, clothed because he was naked before. Because he didn't care about what anybody said. He had no social interactions. And in his right mind, which means he actually was clear in his mind and thinking, and he was the one controlling his thoughts and his words, not the demons. They'd never seen it. It was like the before and after picture. Is this the same guy? Is this really him? His whole life had changed completely. And they're looking at Jesus, and they're looking at him. And they're looking at Jesus, and they're looking at him. It's impossible, they're saying. It's impossible. Look at Jesus. He did this. I mean, do you know who this guy was? Do you know the power and authority that he had? Do you know the change that's occurred? And the Bible says this. Look at verse 15. And they came to see Jesus and the man who had been possessed. They saw him sitting there and they were afraid. The understatement of the year. Afraid. Why were they afraid? Because when they saw the demonized man who was virtually uncontrollable, not even with chains or anything else, and it would have been some time, it says, so probably for years, everybody knew it. The guy was uncontrollable. But you know what? No one got near him, so everybody lived with it. It was just okay. No one ever changed. It didn't change their lives. The demonized guy never came and did any disruption in their lives. He was just out there. You didn't go by him. And it was life. That was part of what was going on. Then this day, everything changes. Jesus steps out of the boat, onto the land, walks up to this guy, and within a matter of minutes, he's completely different. He's changed. And so you look at him, and you look at Jesus, and you know what you see? Jesus has more power and authority than this guy had. This guy, the demonized guy, was uncontrollable. But Jesus is more uncontrollable. He has power and authority over this man and over not just a couple, I mean, thousands of demons. And so guess what? The response is what? Fear. It's the second response to Jesus' power and authority. The first was rebellion, but this is fear. Fear what? Fear of Jesus' power. Fear of Jesus' authority. Why? Because here's the question in their mind. 
What is the power going to mean in my life? If Jesus stays around here and can do this and change his life, if he stays around here, what will his power mean for me? What will his authority mean for me? And so you know what the Bible says in verse 17? Knowing that they began to beg him. I mean, they started it and they kept saying it over Jesus. Hey, depart from our, re- our region, it says. And the reasoning is this. If Jesus' power and authority can change this man, what will it do to us? You ever thought about that? Well, if I gave my life to Jesus, what would it mean for me? These people are thinking this. Well, he's already been here for just a few minutes, and he's completely disrupted our lives. Look, the whole town is practically out here. When has that ever happened? That can't be good. And by the way, the demons, he sent them, and the demons, the demons into the pigs, and they went off the cliff, and they all died. And there were 2,000 of them. You know how much money we're out? You know how Jesus just hurt our economy? If we leave him around here much longer... If we really let him into our lives, right now he's on the outside. He's just taking care of the evil guy. But if we let him into our lives, what will it cost us in the end? And they were afraid. You know why? Because when you work through the implications of who Jesus really is and what he asks of your life, it can make some people afraid. If Jesus changes my life, what will it mean for me? And we're afraid that it would change our friendships. Hey, I like this group of people. I've hung around with them for a long time. And we do a lot of fun things together. Hey, am I going to have to give them up? If I have to see them less or not at all? And it's gonna, is it going to change my lifestyle? Listen, I know Christianity is there's this big list of do's and don'ts. And if I get saved and I give my life to Jesus and he starts changing me, I mean, I'm going to not do this, and I have to do this, and I have to go to church, but I have to do this, and I can't do this. And you think about all the list of things, and it makes you afraid. Will it change my priorities? Are you telling me I'm going to start wanting to come to church more than staying at home watching the game? Will it change my values? Will it change my morals? Are you talking? i got to get rid of my boyfriend or my girlfriend. Are you serious? We just started living together a few months ago. What about my weekends? My weekends. Listen, I live for the weekends. You know, I I make it through the week so that I can do the party things I want to do. Will it change my family? Will it change my marriage? How about my kids? See, the townspeople thought it was really, really good that Jesus could change the demonized guy. That's a good thing. But don't come into my life, Jesus, and try to change my life. Because my life is pretty good already. I think I can control it. See, because to give Jesus your life, he'd have to take control when you're not. See, we're okay with Jesus changing the evil out there. All those people in our culture, I can't believe America today, and blah, blah, blah. And we, bat, and we say, oh, Jesus, could you come in and change all that? The evil out there. But what about the evil in here? Because it's easy to say, oh, look at that guy. Yeah, he needs Jesus. He needs that change. Very much more difficult, isn't it, to look inside yourself and say, and so do I. And so do I. What's easier to say is what they said. Jesus, probably best that you start to move along. Get back in the boat. Head back to the other side. 
Thank you for taking care of the demonized problem, guy. And we'll be fine now. Take off. Fear, that's what will do it for some people. When they think about Jesus and having a fear, what will it cost me? See, the first response to Jesus' power and authority, see, they begged him. They begged him to put them with the swine. The second guy was, and, and the people were fear. They said, Jesus, hey, move away. Really get out of our lives because we got it under control here without you. But the one that Mark puts out is the one that he wants everyone to emulate is the last response, and it's found in verses 18 through 20. And verse 18 reads, The man who had, had been, oh, circle that because that is awesome. He was, but he wasn't anymore. Those two words are full of change. Had been possessed with demons, thousands of them, but not anymore. And here's what it says. He begged him. See it? He begged him that he might be with him. With him is a technical term at times in Mark's gospel for discipleship. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14 sometime. See, it's what Jesus said. He called his disciples to be with him. See, when you walked around with Jesus and you lived with Jesus, went wherever he went, he was training you. Being with him was to become more like him. And here's what the guy, the very first moment after he has been saved, changed, delivered, he's in his right mind. And in his right mind, here's what he wants more than anything. Jesus, I want to be with you. Can I tell you the first thing that changes in someone's life when they give their life to Jesus is that before they wanted to get away from him and now they want to be with him. They have desires for him when they used to have no desires for him. They want to read his word. They want to be in church. They want to start serving him. And listen, it's not out of compulsion. They have to. Listen, he wanted to be. He asked for it. He wanted to follow Jesus. He already knows what it was like to do his own thing, and now he wants to do what Jesus wants him to do. Why? Because he's been changed from the inside out. See, he wants to get close to Jesus. But the second thing that changes about this man is he viewed Jesus' power and authority differently than everybody else in this picture. Jesus, first thing, the first request... (laughs) Can you imagine you get, your life has changed? Jesus has all been awesome to you. And the first thing you say, you think it's an easy, it's a gimme. Jesus, I want to be with you. And the first thing he says to you is no. Nope. The Bible says same word that he permitted them to go into the swine, the demons. He says he didn't permit this man. He said, nope, that's not going to happen. You're not getting back on the boat. You're not going back with me. You're not going to be close to me. Here's what I want you to do. I have an assignment for you. And it says, he said no, but. And it's the strongest word for contrast. In other words, it's a great request, but I have something even better in mind. He says to him, go home to yours. That's the literal translation. Go home to yours Just think, can you for a minute? We're almost done. Go home. Those two words have so much packed into them. Go home. Do you know this guy? We see him this way. Naked, chained, screaming, loudly, demons talking through him. I mean, it couldn't be more of a horror film than anything I can imagine. But before he ever became that, listen to this, he had a home. I don't know all the details of his backstory. I don't know what really happened altogether. Did he have a wife? 
Were they happily married for a while? Did they have a house? Did he have a job? Did he have a career? Was at one time he successful? One guy, he was, maybe one time he was known to be happy and joyful, and, and then it happened, and it started happening. See, you don't get a legion of demons in you overnight. But over time, little choices became big choices, and things in his life got out of control until he couldn't stay home anymore, and no, he couldn't have a marriage anymore, and his kids didn't want to see him anymore. And I can tell you this, as he looked back on that story, I bet he never thought for a minute, like some of us, that, oh, I'll never get there. That'll never happen to me until someday you're sitting in this and say, what happened? How did I get to this place? I never would have dreamed. I never would have dreamed. But Jesus says, you know what? Me changing you, here's your job. You go home. Go to yours. Yours is your family, your friends, the people that knew your backstory, your life story, and how your life was so in shambles. And now tell them this. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. He said this. Tell them this. Family, friends, I've changed in my legion life for my Lord life. See, I was in control for a while, and then the demons were in control. But I can tell you this. Look at me now. Jesus is control now. The Lord, see, he had the legion life and he traded in for the Lord life and it changed everything. That's what he's saying for you tonight, this morning. He began, it said, he began to leave and to go tell everybody. See, in verse 17, the townspeople said, and they began, they began to ask Jesus to leave. But he's the complete opposite. It says he began not telling people to leave, but telling people to come. Come, let me tell you about the man who really changed my life. Not a book, not a diet, not a program. This man has changed my life forever. Did you hear what it said? Tell him what the Lord has done for you. Parallel statement. The second one explains the first. Well, what, he, what had Jesus done for him? How he had had mercy on him. You know what mercy is? God not giving you what you deserve. Every one of us in this room, including Pastor Walker, you know what we deserve because of our sin? Condemnation, hell, death, separation from God and others forever. Jesus says, I know. But he said to this man, and I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to take the penalty for your sin. See, the greatest mercy Jesus ever performed for us when he died in our place on the cross See, a few chapters later in this book, Jesus would die on the cross and then he would rise again from the dead. You know why? Because he conquered sin and hell and death, our greatest enemies, and all the demons and Satan. They're all conquered. You know what that means? That he can change you and not just change you for a while. He can change you forever because he conquered it all. If you will repent, if you'll say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that you died and rose again. You took my place because you love me. See, you say, Jesus, forgive me. I call on you to be my savior. Come in and take control of my life. See, the third response is submission. I submit to him. Jesus, you tell me what to do. Not be with you. Go here, go there. See, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. Why? Because I'll never get over the mercy that you've shown to me. Which response is yours? 
Rebellion, fear, or submission? You have to decide. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, perhaps you're here this morning. You know who Jesus is. This isn't all new to you. You know what the Bible says about him. He's the son of the most high God. And you know the Bible says he has power and authority. But you'd have to be honest to say in your heart this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Pastor Walker, I've been living my life my way, my terms. And I know where it's taken me. See, defiance leads to destruction. And Pastor Walker, I'm starting to see it destroying my life, my health, my relationships. And this morning, I didn't realize, most importantly, it's destroying, destroying my relationship at all, if I have one, and even with you. Maybe you're here this morning, and you'd say, Pastor Walker, I've been the rebellious response, or I've been the fear. I, I, I'm afraid I, if I do this, will he come into my life and change this and that, and I'll have to change this and not do this and do all? Can I tell you this? You'll change all those things once you give your life to him. But you have to do that first. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, are you a first responder or a second responder this morning? Is that you? So I, I, I haven't submitted to the power and authority of Jesus. I, I just haven't wanted him to come into my life and change me. But Pastor Walker, this morning, I need to. I, I finally get it. I need to. I need Jesus' cross, death, and resurrection to have the power to change me. I need him in my life as my Lord and Savior. With no one looking, would you say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to stop rebelling, stop fearing, and start submitting and give my life to him that he might save me. Thank you for your hand. Anyone else? Just raise it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just raise your hand and put it up this morning briefly and, and... I won't call your name out. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, you've seen the hands of everyone who raised them in these last moments. Your Holy Spirit, through your word, has helped us to see clearly our need of a Savior, our need of change, repentance, forgiveness, a forever change. I pray for those who raise their hands that this morning in just a little bit when we give the invitation that they would come forward that someone might take the Bible and show them today how Jesus can change their life forever. Only you can do it. And I pray that you would do that for your glory and honor alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we